0: Please take your Bibles and turn to that portion of Scripture that Cliff read to us a little bit earlier, uh, Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be focusing particularly on verses 10 to 14, um, but the context is set right at the beginning uh, of chapter 18 in verse 1. So please keep God's Word open before you as we come to look at this portion uh, of Scripture this morning. We come today to the parable of the wandering or the straying sheep as has been recorded and read for us in Matthew chapter 18 verses 10 to 14. And, and you might want to stop me at this point and, and ask, but Tinson, haven't we already done this parable a couple months ago back in May when we looked at the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin from Luke chapter 15? Now, although the parables themselves are almost identical, what you will notice is that the context of the two parables is very different. And it was most likely that Jesus not only preached similar messages to different audiences during his ministry on earth, but that he also used the same parable to teach different lessons, as we will see today. And so, although the parable of Luke 15 seems very similar to what we have before us today in Matthew 18, the main focus back in Luke 15 was on the lost sheep and taught us about the love of God in pursuing lost sinners into the kingdom of heaven and the great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And this was then emphasized Further, in the parable of the lost coin, and then again in the parable of the two lost sons, uh, the prodigal son and the older brother. But the context that we find ourselves in today in Matthew 18 is very different. And, and I think the lesson that Jesus is wanting to teach us is also different. And so let's come to this parable then with fresh eyes and, and let the text reveal to us what Jesus is teaching us, through this specific parable, in this specific context. And the context is found in verse 1. Let's read together from verses 1 to 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that the true mark of a Christian is a childlike humility and faith. While the disciples here, it seems, are are jostling for power and and prominence in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus takes this young child into their midst and gives them a a very simple object lesson. Unless you become like a child, not in the physical sense of, of age or stature, but in terms of faith and humility, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus takes it even further and says that, that if they accept these little ones in the faith, well, they're receiving Jesus himself. And if they cause one of these little ones of the faith to stumble and, and sin, well, it would be better for them to have this huge millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the depth of the sea. And so in these verses, we see not only that Jesus has a a deep love and spiritual concern for young children, but more so than that, he has a desire to see that all of us must become like little children in humility and in faith in order for us to inherit eternal life. And so... We then get down to verse 10, and we see in verse 10 that this little child is still standing in their midst, and and Jesus picks up on his lesson to the disciples regarding their attitude to the kingdom of heaven, and he now moves on to teach them regarding their attitude towards fellow believers. And so we see in verse 10 that Jesus has a very specific lesson that he wants to teach them, and and. He gives them the reasons for the lesson in verse 12 and 13 uh, by way of the parable, and then he provides them with the motivation to obey him in verse 14. And so let's consider then in the first place this very specific lesson which Jesus wants us to learn through the parable which he's about to tell. And the lesson we see is in verse 10. It's very straightforward and clear. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. So Jesus is, is talking to his disciples here, and then by extension, uh, he's speaking to all those who are believers today. And he commands us in, in a very strong way to make sure that we do not despise any of these little ones. Now, just to make it clear here, as verse 3 and 4 explains, Jesus is. Speaking of little ones in terms of faith and humility. In other words, young or or immature believers. Jesus is speaking to mature men in verse one. His disciples. But they are men who had become proud in their hearts regarding the things of God and the kingdom of heaven. And they were jostling for, for prominence and position in the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus is calling his disciples here not to reverse their physical age, become children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, but to become like children in terms of their, their faith, their dependence upon God, their belief in God, and their humility before God. Now, before we are are quick to perhaps judge, condemn the disciples for their attitude of pride and, and wanting to jostle for prominence, let us rather be quick to realize how easily, how naturally it comes to us to promote ourselves over others by seeking to put others down. I've seen this Countless times in my work life uh, before going into the ministry when it came up for promotion time at work or employment interviews or performance reviews and, and bonus time to see how some people are so quick to promote themselves over others by belittling others, by breaking others down. The more they can kind of put their colleagues down, the more they feel elevated and superior and somehow deserving of whatever promotion or bonus it was that they were seeking. Now, the sad reality, however, is that the same thing happens all too often in the church when believers despise fellow Christians in order to somehow feel better about themselves and their Christian piety seeking then positions of, of prominence or influence for themselves. And so it's into this context of jostling for, for power and prominence, right in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And it, it, this most likely involved some degree of putting each other down, trying to see who could come out on top, that Jesus firstly deals with the heart issue of conversion in verses 1 to 5 namely that of of humility and faith. But now he comes to deal with the practical outworking of true conversion, of this attitude as we treat other believers. Verse 10, he says, see to it. It really means watch carefully, be vigilant, that you do not despise even the littlest member of the household of faith. Are we're going to look at the reasons for that in a minute, why Jesus says this. But for now, let's just make ourselves aware. Let's just remind ourselves of how easily prone we are to despise our fellow believers. John MacArthur gives us a number of ways, and I've added a few more. We despise each other when we flaunt our liberty before weaker believers, Romans 14 when we show partiality to one believer over another, we, we treat one better than another, James chapter 2. When we withhold help from those in need, again, James chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. When we mock or ridicule another Christian's physical appearance, 2 Corinthians 10, 10. When we perhaps shun or, or judge those who have fallen into sin, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. When we resent those who confess, sorry, when we resent those who confront our sinfulness. Titus chapter 2 verse 15. When we take advantage of others for personal gain. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 6. When we promote our spiritual gifts over others, particularly the more prominent spiritual gifts. That's 1 Corinthians 14 When we look down on those who have less theological knowledge or understanding, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1. And when we judge those who do not measure up to our standards of of holiness instead of God's standards of grace, Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 and 11. There's so much food for, for personal heart introspection here as we think about how easily we are guilty. Of despising one of these little ones of the faith, one of these little ones for whom Jesus Christ has died. And so that is the lesson that Jesus is wanting to teach us this morning. See that you do not despise one of these little ones of the faith. But now Jesus in the second place goes on to give us the reasons for this command in verses 10 to 13. Let's read again, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now here, Jesus gives us a a glimpse into the hidden spiritual realm of the angels in heaven and their relationship to us. But I also just want to caution that we must be very careful here to try and build a whole doctrine of angels from this verse and seek to understand rather what Jesus was trying to convey to us in this context. But we are told that the angels in heaven are are those heavenly beings created by God to worship him and to glorify him. But they are also created to do the work which God has commissioned them to do. And Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that the angels are God's ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of the believers. So while this verse is is not teaching that every believer has a guardian angel... It does tell us that there are a whole host of angels who dwell in the very presence of God, sinless beings who behold God face to face, who are sent out to serve the believers on the earth. Now what is the point of Jesus telling us this? Notice that the sentence starts with for in the NIV or the ESV or because In the Christian Standard Bible. In other words, this statement about the angels is directly linked to the command given to us to not despise the little ones of the faith. So what Jesus is saying is this. How can you despise a child of God, a little one of the faith when there are hosts of angelic beings in the presence of God the Father, whose job it is to serve these little ones, and yet you despise them. This sheds a whole new light on your gossip against or despising of anyone else who is a child of God, doesn't it? That's the first reason given to us here, not to despise fellow believers, not to despise those who are weak and young and immature in the faith. Why not? Because the angels in heaven who see God face to face are those whom God has sent out to serve and care for this individual Christian that you are despising. When we put a fellow believer down, we set ourselves against God the Father in heaven. But there is another reason which explains to us by way of a parable why it is that we should not despise a little one in the faith. And that is that God himself goes out to pursue the wandering sheep back into the fold. Verse 12, what do you think, Jesus says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So in contrast here to Luke chapter 15 that we looked at in May, This parable is not about lost sinners needing to be saved, but this time it is about those who are already God's sheep, perhaps, yes, weak and and immature in the faith. Nevertheless, they are sheep who have gone astray, those who have wandered away from the flock and wandered away from the shepherd. I guess in our modern language, we would speak here of the backslidden Christian. Before we see what Jesus says here, let me just remind you, let me remind myself again of of how easily we fall into this sin of which Jesus is speaking of here to the disciples. Not so much the sin of backsliding, but the sin of despising our fellow Christians, fellow brothers and sisters, when we see them falling away from God. Think about it. Every one of us, I'm sure, either knows a backslidden Christian right now, or you know someone who was, at least for a season in their lives, backslidden. Or perhaps you are there yourself today, and you might be feeling right now the, the scorn of those Christians who seem to have it all sorted out. Thinking back, there was a time when you were saved By the good shepherd. You were a lost sheep at that point. You were spiritually lost. You were facing eternal death. And the good shepherd of Luke chapter 15, he pursued you and he found you and he picked you up and he brought you into his fold. You remember the joy. Of the shepherd's face, as as the love of God shone into your heart, as you were welcomed into the family of God, as you were brought into the church, and as you began your journey as a child of God. Oh, how you used to love reading God's word. It, it became alive to you. You loved talking to God in prayer. You loved meeting with the people of God. You loved listening to sermons and, and Bible studies about God. You loved serving in the church. And, and perhaps you were even so excited about God that it, it just bubbled over in, in sharing God with others. But over the years since then you must be honest and admit that life has dealt you some hard knocks. The shepherd didn't seem to care as much as you thought. The voices of the old goats that you used to hang around with have become louder and louder, and your own sinful heart has now caused you to rebel. Yes, perhaps even just quietly in your heart, or perhaps more openly. And so there's come a day where you started to drift away from the fold. You turned your back on the shepherd. You walked away to follow the voices of the world. The desires of your heart, if you are honest today, you are living after the pleasures of the things of this world. You are far away from the shepherd. You're far away from the other sheep. You're far away from the experience of joy that you once knew. This is the reality of the wandering sheep. That person right now that you are thinking about. Or perhaps the reality of your own heart today. What is Jesus wanting us to know about that person In this state of wandering. Well, I once saw a billboard outside a church which said, if you are feeling far away from God, who moved? Who moved? And the implied answer is obviously, well, it certainly wasn't God. God. And yet look at what Jesus is teaching us here in these verses. When one of his little ones moves away from him, perhaps through falling into some powerful grip of sin, or perhaps through some form of of slavery to addiction, or perhaps through, through the gradual, simple neglect of their relationship with the Lord, whatever the cause for the sheep straying away from the shepherd and the fold, notice what Jesus says. The shepherd moves. The shepherd moves. Isn't that wonderful? He, he doesn't just sit back with a spirit of judgmentalism and say, Well, you deserve what you've got coming. You walked away, so don't blame me if you get hurt. No, we, we see the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep and searching for and pursuing the one sheep that strayed away. You see, God is not only active in finding the lost sinner and bringing them to salvation, but he continues to pursue us for the rest of our lives as his children who are so prone to wonder. What a wonderful God of grace we have, who even after We have experienced His his love and his, His incredible salvation. And then we stray from His presence. Yet His love overcomes our sinfulness, overcomes our weakness, and He searches us out until He finds us. We read in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. John chapter six thirty seven. All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And what is the will of him who sent me? that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. And so this passage is a a wonderful, encouraging passage for us as as Christians today, as we consider the the incredible love of God in, in not only pursuing us into salvation, amen for that, but continuing to pursue us by his grace all the way into heaven. He will not leave us alone. He will not allow even one sheep to perish. He will complete the good work that he began in you and that he began in me. Do you see the heart of God when he finds this, this one sheep that, that went astray? He rejoices. He rejoices over it more than over the 99 who did not go astray. Not because he loves the 99 less, of course not. But because one of the sheep that he loves, one of the sheep that he laid down his life for, one of the sheep that he purchased at great cost, this little one was in great danger. This little one fell away from his fellowship and so when he finds him, there is a great joy in that moment of restoration and reconciliation. Now we could, we could end at this point and, and feel wonderfully secure in our salvation. Encouraged, even in our waywardness, to return to the great shepherd of the sheep, knowing that we are loved more than we could ever know Knowing that God's love, God's grace extends to us even in our wayward wanderings. But that would be to miss the point of this passage. The purpose of Jesus telling this parable was not primarily to encourage backslidden Christians, although this passage certainly does that. But the point of Jesus telling this parable was was to provide a reason to faithful Christians, to the 99 that have not wanted to not despise the little ones of the faith, even when they go astray. You see, it is so easy when, when things are going well in our lives as Christians to, to become self-righteous and proud to look at those fellow Christians around us who seem to be struggling or who may even have wandered away from the church and we can so easily despise them in our hearts. We feel superior to them. We forget that it is only by the grace of God that we have not fallen away too. We forget how easily and how often we were perhaps even in a worse situation than they are in now. But our sinfulness, it manifests itself in our despising them in the various ways that we looked at earlier. Well, Jesus says to us this morning, The reasons I am giving you to not despise a little one in the faith... To not despise a wandering Christian is firstly because the angels in heaven who see God face to face are those whom God has sent out to care for that little one that you are despising. But secondly, because God himself is such an incredible God of love that like a good shepherd, he is actively searching out each person whom you are despising. And so if the angels in heaven are serving that little one, and Jesus himself is pursuing that wayward one, who are you to despise them? Your spiritual situation quite possibly could be even worse than theirs. So then in the final place, Jesus wants us to see that as Christians in the church, We are meant to be God's agents for pursuing the straying and the wandering sheep back into the fold. And so in the third place, he gives us the motivation in verse 14. So, says the ESV, or in the same way, it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Verse Fourteen is really the key verse in this whole chapter 18 because it ties us back to the beginning where Jesus is rebuking his disciples for, for their pride, urging them to become like little children in humility and faith. And it connects to what Jesus is saying here in the middle section about not despising any other Christian, especially not a little one in the faith who has gone astray. And then it bridges us to verses 15 to 20, where Jesus practically goes on to explain how we are to go about restoring a brother or a sister in Christ who has gone astray. Now, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 20 is a very well-known portion of Scripture. We've considered it before at members' meetings when we've had to deal with the, the whole topic of church discipline. And this understanding of, of church discipline today in many people's minds is, is a very harsh and a negative thing. But have a look at the context. Verse 15 to 20 flows straight out of these verses that we are looking at. This parable in verses 10 to 14 where Jesus is urging believers to not despise any brother or sister in Christ, no matter how weak, no matter how little, no matter how immature. But to realize that God is deeply passionate about restoring all of His wandering sheep back to Himself. And He wants us as the church to be the agents by which those who have wandered away from God are brought back into the fold. One commentator puts it like this. Anger, disgust, contempt, and finally indifference come to characterize our natural response to the straying sheep. They've torn apart their families. They've wounded and weakened the church. And frankly, we want nothing to do with them. We want them to just go away and never come back. Understandable. And human though this response may be, this is not the outlook God wants us to have. It is understandable and right that we should hate the sin, but the old guideline must be maintained. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Yes, even the believer sinner. Since God pursues the wayward, so must we pursue. Since he seeks, we must seek Since he searches, we must search, end quote. And so that is the challenge then for us as the the body of Christ here at Honey Ridge today. Are we pursuing the wayward? Are we seeking out the sinning brother or sister in Christ, searching for their restoration back into the fold? Please look again at verse 14. It is not the will of our Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God's heart is one of consistent, unconditional love for his children even those who sin and fall away for a season. His angels in heaven are sent out to serve his children, even those. His own son, the good shepherd, searches after them. How much more should we, as the recipients of God's grace, should we not take our responsibility as the church seriously to restore the wandering sheep back to God and back to his flock? But sadly, we have to admit that there are many wandering sheep scattered all over the landscape of Johannesburg as a result of our failure to be obedient to what Jesus is teaching us here. Especially, perhaps, more so than ever before, because of the disconnectedness of the last 18 months due to COVID restrictions. You see, a wandering sheep is in a very precarious position. They are vulnerable. They're often hurting. They're often skeptical and doubting. They're often defensive. And every time another sheep comes along who despises them, all we do is we drive them further away. Every time they try to reconnect with the shepherd or with the sheep of the church and they are met with scorn or indifference or coldness, they turn and they run. As the 99 sheep in their holy huddle stand smugly and say, well, you see, that just proves that they were never a true sheep in the first place. Is it? Is that really what that proves? Or is it perhaps proving that in that moment, our failure to love them like Jesus loves them, our failure to pursue them the way Jesus has pursued us, our failure to search after them the way Jesus searched after us, is actually revealing that we may not be the true sheep that we thought we were. Yes, if a wandering sheep feels far away from God, it was not God who moved But in this parable, Jesus is teaching us that God does move. He moves towards His wandering sheep, and He does that through His body here on earth, through you and through me, through us as the church. We are the vehicle of restoration for that backslidden Christian. By God's Holy Spirit within us, we are the hands and the feet of God as we as we seek out and we pursue the wayward brother or sister. We bring them back, back into the flock. And when they return, we are the ones who are meant to rejoice over them more than over the 99 who did not go astray. But all too often, We sit comfortably, rejoicing over the 99 who came to church, instead of heading out from the 99 to find the one who has drifted away. There are so many simple and practical ways in which we can pursue the wandering sheep back into the fold, especially after these last 18 months of covid Let me give you some pointers here. Pick up the phone and call someone you haven't seen at church for a while. Ask them how they're doing. Ask if you can just pop around for a cup of tea or coffee to catch up and to pray with them. Why not follow up with that person who always seems to be on the fringe of things and yet strangely never goes away? They could well be a wandering sheep, desperate for God's welcome and joy to be shown in bringing them back into the fold. And then think hard about those people who you personally may have driven away through your sinful attitudes and harsh words. Perhaps simply through just ignoring them in their need. Please can I urge you today, go and find them, apologize to them, and plead with them to return back to the fold. It's so nice to be back at church on Sundays and be outside under the umbrellas, drinking good filter coffee, rejoicing with the 99 others who are there too, and ignoring the sheep who are drifting away. God is making his appeal to them through us. Be reconciled to God. Honey Ridge Baptist Church, are we hindering or helping God's appeal? Are we hindering or are we helping God's appeal? Are we vessels of his grace Or are we instruments of the devil's division and condemnation? I want to end by going back to what Jesus said to his disciples in verse 3. Truly, I say to you, unless you turn, unless you repent and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me says Jesus but whoever causes one of these little wandering weak sheep one of these wayward ones one of these backslidden ones one of these who believe in me to sin it would be better for you to have a great millstone tied around your neck and to be thrown into the depths of the sea may god spare us from from this curse of having caused a single little one of his sheep, one of these little ones in the faith, to stumble and sin and fall. May God help us today to be people who live out the gospel that we are so quick to celebrate, that we would be people of warmth and love and compassion and understanding and patience, knowing that we have received all of that from God when not one of us deserves it as we then go and pursue and welcome the wandering sheep back into the fold of God's people. May God help us. It's a massive task. but May he help us to be his hands and his feet and his voice here on earth as we go and pursue the wandering sheep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to just marvel at your grace to us in the gospel your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and we come today as those who consider ourselves to be part of the body of Christ those who are the sheep of your flock those who have received your grace your forgiveness your patience your your pursuing your picking up your care your nurture we are the recipients of all of of who you are to us in Christ. Oh Lord God, we want to ask and pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for having so quickly allowed this special place of privilege and grace and love to become one of despising those who are weak and wandering and falling. Forgive us, we pray, Lord God. Help us to realize How prone to wonder our own hearts are. Help us to realize the grace of others in our lives who have pursued us at times when we were straying from you and they brought us back and and yet we sit and we do nothing about those around us who are straying. Oh Lord God, won't you give us a heart, every single one of us here at Honey Ridge, for those that we know are drifting away from you and drifting away from the flock of God here at Honey Ridge. Forgive us, Lord, for being harsh, for being sometimes even cruel in our attitudes towards these little ones of the faith. Spare us from this great curse of causing one of these who believes in you to sin and to stumble. Make us your instruments, we pray. Humble us, cause us to be people who live in daily dependence and faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we cling close to you and to the cross, may you make us these compassionate pursuers of those who are wondering. O oh Lord God, make us a people of compassion, a people of patience, a people who rejoice over and delight in what you are doing in our midst as those who are weak and wandering are brought back. We ask that you would do this work in our midst for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and his purposes in saving and preserving a people to the very end. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to participate with you in this great work. So we ask that we would be faithful as we seek to represent you and your heart to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name.